Before we start this episode, one quick note. Many of our guests this season were Teacher of the Year finalists. In this episode, we are so honored to feature Jennifer Pride, who after we recorded was named the 21-22 Wake County Teacher of the Year. Congratulations, Jennifer. We first need to bother because the students need collaboration, especially in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this time where there's so many unknowns. One thing should be a consistent to them, and that's the opportunity to collaborate with both their teachers as well as their classmates. Unique and frequent opportunities for collaboration result in increased engagement. Okay, um, Some students are more likely to engage with peers instead of with me, and that has to be okay. That has to be okay. During the podcast this month, we're focusing on topics related to collaboration. Every teacher knows how important collaboration is, and every teacher has also had to completely rethink what collaboration looks like now that we're teaching students online. In this episode, we talk about virtual collaboration so teachers can both increase and improve those opportunities for students. Katie Haywood, a digital learning coordinator for the Western area. And I am Chris Zirkel, a digital learning coordinator for the Southern and Southeastern areas. Welcome to Digital Learning, hosted by the Wake County Public School System, where inspiring educators provide insight into their experiences with digital learning. You can follow us on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, and Google. To access our show notes, visit us at dlc.wcpss.net. There you will find the contact information for your area digital learning coordinator who you can contact for help and support with digital learning. You will also find our monthly newsletter, our podcast episodes, our lunch and learn sessions, and other valuable resources. Hello, my name is Jennifer Pride. I'm an eighth grade language arts teacher at Heritage Middle School in Wake Forest. And I'm very excited to share my experiences today on what collaboration looks like in my classroom. We started off by asking Jennifer how she collaborated before the move to online teaching, and then what that collaboration looks like now during both synchronous and asynchronous instruction. So pre-COVID, collaboration in my classroom looked a lot like students up out of their seats, physically moving around throughout the classroom. Um, Teaching EL, we tend to introduce our units with photography. So students get up and move around and do a gallery walk. We have students participate in chalk talks where they're writing on the board, they're writing on each other's papers, they're up doing think peer shares, jigsaws, fish bowls, Socratic seminars, you name it, I've tried it. If it involves students interacting, um, it was taking place in my classroom. But collaboration for me during live instruction looks like students typically working in breakout groups. Um, I prefer student choice groups over the groups that are presented in a Google Meet. I send students to either a shared document or a Google slide, and I'll allow them to decide where they want to work based on the day. So in our live meets, there are usually four groups that take place. The first group being a silent group, students that just want to work independently. If they have a question, they'll type it in the chat feature. But we have no idea what's taking place with students at home, and they may not be in the mood to collaborate every single day, or they may not feel comfortable to collaborate every single day. So I like to provide that opportunity for them. The second group is what I call the open chat group. So they may not feel comfortable turning on their mic or a camera. 
but they do feel comfortable collaborating through using the chat feature. And that's usually my most popular group. As we know, a lot of students like to text message and they are definitely the social media age. And then the last group is the open group. So that's the group of students that want to come in. They want to turn on their camera, turn on their mic. They want to share. They want to interact. They want to see one another. So that's what collaboration tends to look like um, during live instruction. On asynchronous days, collaboration looks a little bit different. Students will work on a shared document. They may have to post something in Flipgrid. They will respond to a Google question of the day. And then what they might do is respond to other students' responses. So it involves collaboration, but not in real time. They get to respond to a prompt, see others' responses, and then have the opportunity to then respond or comment or make questions as needed. So let's examine this idea of differentiated breakout rooms for a minute. It's so simple in concept, but I think it's really powerful for students that they get to be able to kind of choose what works best for them. And there's a few different ways I think teachers could set this up, you know, rather than just trying in the moment to figure it out. Uh, one thing that I've seen online is um, teachers using graphics where kids can sign up um, in advance. Maybe like the teacher has, you know, these pictures of literal doors um, to represent the different rooms and students could type their name, you know, beneath which type of room they wanted to work in, um, you know, either maybe in that moment while teachers get, the teacher's getting the class set up or in advance so the teacher could get those breakout rooms um, set up. Yeah, I think that if a student has a little bit of choice and let's say, for example, they want to be in a room where cameras are on and mics are on versus maybe they want to be in a room with just one or two people or maybe even a room where people are working silently and maybe the meet is there if someone has a question or something they want to contribute, but they can kind of have more of a silent environment. Yeah, it's almost kind of like, you know, you go to the library and you can pick the the silent reading room or they have the tables, you know, in the main room too, where you could work. So yeah, it's that, it's that, again, that, like you said, that power of choice and the teacher could even um, help the kids kind of choose where they want to work based on what they're working on even, you know, maybe not necessarily the type of environment they want, but what type of help do they need? Do they need a place where they can get lots of help or do they need a place where, you know, maybe they don't need as much help? What is also important to know is that Jennifer gives her kids opportunities to collaborate as if they were working together, like, you know, when you're in the classroom, like synchronously, but she also gives them opportunities to collaborate asynchronously. And what I think this is really great for is it really kind of gives kids that flexibility where, they're still working with their peers, but they don't necessarily have to be doing it all at the same time. And so I think that provides a, a, a way that kids will engage more if they know they can do it on their time, um, on their schedule. Um, and I think it takes off some of this pressure that, you know, sometimes I think sometimes we get this hang up about, oh, I have to do it right now because that's when we're meeting and whatever. But if the kids can kind of contribute and produce on their own time, um, you know, then it kind of takes that barrier off. It, 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 it takes away those kind of sometimes mental barriers that we put up. Um, and it just really, I think, gives kids that freedom and flexibility and, and is um, increased, could increase their engagement. We've talked before about how so much of communication relies on in-person cues such as body language, 
vocal tone, and we use the cues to measure and judge student engagement. Not to mention we get to know our students through observation and making those connections with them. Jennifer really leverages these things we do almost without thinking in a really intentional and purposeful way to set students up to make connections and establish those relationships with each other. I will say that being a face-to-face -face teacher, um, I'm certainly at an advantage. So the time in which students have been physically in the building, I use that time to observe the students, to observe who they're talking to, who they're around, what interest. So my students that have physically come in the building, if I notice that at lunch they tend to sit with a particular student, when I'm putting them in groups for collaboration, I try to keep that in mind. Um, for teachers who are working virtually and, you know, have not had the luxury of meeting their students face-to-face, -face, I highly suggest giving some open-ended questions about things such as, well, what are you reading? Interest, using interest surveys to connect students together. Um, there was an assignment that I gave at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, which was, I loved it. It's called my quarantine questionnaire. And it asked them, what are you binge watching on Netflix? What's on your quarantine playlist? And I use that tool to kind of cluster kids together based on those interests. So when I do go into my open collaborative groups, I may have, you know, overhear them talking about what they watched on Grey's Anatomy because that's something that I knew they were all interested in, but also at the same time, they're getting their work done. You know, so we kind of have to extend a little bit of grace, whereas in a traditional classroom center, we may not want our kids to get off topic on conversations. But that's necessary here in order to kind of get them to connect to say, hmm, we're kind of alike. We have similarities. And um, I think that that is equally as rewarding and important as the academic component. Yeah, one of my favorite classes in college was my speech course. And it was interesting to, uh, like you said, you're listening to someone speak, but through a different lens and you're listening for articulation and clarity and, you know, conciseness of what they're saying and the content. And you almost, you know, have reflecting upon uh, how well they did and even communicating and providing them feedback. And she kind of discussed that she does something similar to this with her students, where students are know in advance that as they're listening to one another, they are listening for specific uh, goals that they should be accomplishing as they speak or um, ways that they can possibly provide feedback to one another? That's a great question and one that I think a lot of us overlook. In a traditional setting, we read so much from body language. We look at the expression of those that we're talking to um, as a, a tool to guide where our conversation or our instruction goes next. And I think that's both applicable for teachers and students. So teaching them how to clearly express their feelings using the resources online are key. Um, in those choice groups that I mentioned earlier, I model specifically in each group what they're needing to do. So I go into the group where students want to open and engage and interact with one another, and I model giving feedback, I model asking questions. Within the group, I assign roles. So whoever's the facilitator or leader needs to be the one who recognizes that we've spent too much time on that question and then we need to move on. I've modeled that for them. I've modeled that every single person needs to provide some type of feedback other than 
that's good or I agree. So teaching them how to give critical feedback in that virtual setting. And then also allowing them to assess or reflect on one another's feedback has been key. When the students know that my peers are watching and they're expecting me to do my part, they're more likely to engage. Also, I think it's important in the setting where using the chat feature, we can't assume there's some students that will never say or type a word in the chat. And we can't make assumptions based on what they know or what we think they understand. So learning how to engage your students, the classmates who are not as engaged in the chat, asking particular students, well, what do you think? What did you write for this answer? And slowly but surely, it is definitely a process and it takes time, but slowly but surely, more and more students will buy into it. More and more students will do their part. More and more students will be engaged and um, recognize that the collaborative tools are here to help them be successful and not to call them out or make them feel embarrassed in front of their classmates. I think we all know that collaboration is important and it's something we should be doing. Jennifer really goes into some detail about some of the specific benefits and advantages she sees when she gives her kids those opportunities. We first need to bother because the students need collaboration, especially in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this time where there's so many unknowns, one thing should be a consistent to them, and that's the opportunity to collaborate with both their teachers as well as their classmates. Unique and frequent opportunities for collaboration result in increased engagement. Okay? Um, some students are more likely to engage with peers instead of with me, and that has to be okay. That has to be okay. And then lastly, we should bother because ultimately it produces a higher quality of work. Last quarter at the end of our module, students had to write a, um, an essay about a particular topic. Traditionally in a live classroom setting, when they're writing an essay, they would partner up with someone, they would exchange papers, provide feedback on one another's papers, and then use that feedback to improve their writing. That looks a lot different virtually. Virtually, I had to place students in breakout groups. I had to teach them how to share their work with one another in conference in a virtual setting. But what it allowed was for students to get the feedback that they needed, a lot of them to improve their writing. With this virtual structure, it's very difficult for me to get to all 130 or so papers. But by empowering students to give feedback and give help and assistance and constructive criticism to one another, they are more engaged and their quality of work improves. We asked Jennifer to share some tips she would offer to other teachers who want to increase opportunities for student collaboration in their online environments. Hmm, that's a really good question. <laughs> and one that I'm not even going to lie, I ask myself because sometimes when I've worked really hard, as I'm sure other teachers have, to put together what we think should be a high engaging collaborative lesson, and we present it to the students and they're just not engaged, they don't buy in, but we cannot give up. I will say there is a lot of trial and error. There have been resources that have been highly suggested by peers that haven't necessarily worked for me. So you have to decide what works best for you and your students. When collaborating, be prepared to fail. Be prepared to try multiple resources before you find what works for you. Even within my PLC, 
we're teaching the exact same material, eighth grade language arts, the EL. We're on the same module. We have the same lessons. The tools that may work for collaboration from our peers may not necessarily work for me. And truly, it's not about what's working for me. It's what's working for my students. I was so afraid to do big breakout groups. I, was, I felt like there was so much beyond my control. And I think we have to be mindful as educators that it's the students that really need to have the say so in what and how they collaborate. So if that makes us feel uncomfortable for a little bit, it is a risk worth taking. So if that's something you're a little afraid of, you're a little leery, especially to my secondary educators, elementary are mastering it. They're doing an awesome job. I'm learning so much from the elementary, but I tend to see in discussions and conversations I have with my secondary educators that it feels so unnatural to us because that's not the way that we tend to structure our class when we're in person in the building. We've got to step outside of the box and think a little bit differently and ultimately think about what's doing the best thing for us. You know, Chris, now that kids are starting to get back in the building and we are starting to kind of, quote unquote, get back to normal, there's been a lot of talk about what that's going to look like and, you know, what what we're going to be doing when we get, you know, kids fully back in the classroom and what it what is you know, our quote, normal, like, what is, what is that going to look like? You know, should things go back to the way they were beforehand? I think of blended learning, you know, when we first started off on this journey with remote learning, there was a lot of devices that were distributed, more devices are on their way. And I think that it's not going to be something that we're going to return to the, you know, same way that we taught or presented our instruction and had student activities with, you know, prior to everything we've experienced, I think a lot of what we've experienced is going to stick and that it's going to be something that we're going to have to work through and kind of um, navigate. I like the expression or the the phrase, build the, the plane as we fly it, so mm -hmm. to say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. There's so much new structures and strategies that teachers have been trying you know, to, to work with virtual students and um, asynchronous times that can still be applied in the classroom. You know, I joke a lot about how things like instructional videos and such can almost clone a teacher and increase that flexibility and that time you can use in the classroom because it buys you the time to work with students while the other students are still um, working on content. And so those are definitely, you know, you know, things like choice boards and playlists are definitely things that can still be used and should be used, you know, as we, as we kind of get kids back in the classroom buildings. Yeah. And as we started this year off with, um, guiding documents from the county and the Canvas courses that we took, you know, those are resources I think that I would definitely revisit and look for even, um, more resources like that to be provided to us. So I think that the vast majority of the resources we will continue to use. We like the whole idea of the flipped classroom. That's something that's come up in the past. So we want to provide students with the resources that they need and then give them the option on how to navigate the education themselves. We see 
this time period as a time where students are now embodied and given the opportunity to facilitate their own education. And while many students are struggling, quite a few are thriving. So I think it's going to be a trial and error. We're going to continue to look at the resources we have and um, continue to use them to best support students, whether they're at home or in-person instruction. We all have experienced a lot of change. We've been thrust into a whole new world. It's easy to lose sight of why we started doing this in the first place. Jennifer shared with us some examples of why she continues to include a variety of opportunities for student collaboration. There are so many stories. I feel that we spend a lot of time focusing on the students that are not, but there are so many that are doing so well. Um, the first student that comes to mind is a student who's an English language learner, and um, she's new to our school. She was new to the country last year, and she's moved around quite a bit. And utilizing the collaborative tools on the internet have been highly successful. It has increased her um, motivation, it has increased her confidence. She feels more confident in voicing her opinion in the collaborative settings. Students have been more encouraging to her. Um, she's been very upfront about her experiences. So she's one that truly stands out to me because I can see that confidence when we're working online versus when she comes into the classroom because she doesn't have that confidence in the language, she's less likely to speak out. But being behind the screen allows her to kind of take the moment and double check the translation and make sure that she has what she wants to say prior to presenting it. So she's the one that definitely stands out. Um, I have a group of ladies in one particular class of mine who ask to work together every single time. And what they do is they actually go above and beyond in the assignments. They um, are asking for enrichment. They're asking for additional work. They're asking additional questions that are not presented on a particular assignment. And then what I love is they bring that same energy back to when we're doing full class instruction. So I'm very, very excited. So, you know, we like to kind of edit the end of each episode, uh, talk about the new digital learning standards for students that have ad been adopted in North Carolina. And we are working on that implementation phase. And of course, talking about collaboration in the classroom uh, falls right under that, uh, that seventh standard of global collaborator, where students are using digital tools to connect with learners. And so, you know, Jennifer did a really great job of highlighting how she's using a variety of digital tools and a variety of technologies and opportunities for her kids to connect with each other and, um, you know, to work constructively towards common goals and completing tasks and projects. And so uh, this really falls under that, that standard really well. Yeah, and you mentioned Global Collaborator. We have a podcast episode coming up that's going to be focused on global collaboration. Pretty excited about that one. As far as the DLCs, uh, we had in our last podcast episode a series of questions that teachers have posed. And one of the most popular questions is the question about student collaboration. So if you'd like to contact your local area DLC to get some support with collaboration, feel free to reach out to us at dlc.wcpss.net. Thanks for listening to Wake County Digital Learning. Feel free to share our show, visit our website, and stay tuned.